Thank you, Christy. That was beautiful. I don't think there's a dry eye in the room right now. And that's good. It's a good thing. Uh, in light of what Christy has shared, just in light of this, this beautiful day of celebrating the preciousness of life, let's, let's bow in prayer together. Lord, we come to you and we give you thanks for giving uh, life for being the author of life, the creator of life, and, and especially, Lord, even for, for Christie's stories, the, the, the hands that delivered her, the hands of her earthly father, a picture of your hands, the one who delivers all of us and who adopts all of us into your family. And so we ask, Lord, in this time that we would just praise you along with Christy for your work in her life, that we would also recognize the preciousness of life and that we would be a people dedicated to, to loving um, others, all made in your image, that we would especially care for uh, moms and dads who are experiencing uh, difficulty in terms of an unplanned pregnancy and perhaps are, are facing the challenges and trials that come along with that. We want to thank you for Options Health and for the way in which they place themselves deliberately in a strategic place to care for moms and dads and babies. And we ask that by your grace, you would be at work in, in rescuing many and that you would be glorified as, 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 as many more would even turn to you and trust in you by faith and come to life in Jesus and receive the salvation that comes only from him. So we thank you uh, for this day. Uh, we praise you for the, the ministry that we can be a part of and in, in, in being involved in people's lives in this way. And we thank you especially for the story of Christy and, and the way in which we rejoice with her. And we thank you for her and her family and that we can join together uh, to further uh, your work and, and your message of life for, for all the world. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we find ourselves today... Uh, with a lot going on, and I just want to make sure that uh, we're all apprised of, of several beautiful, wonderful things. Uh, not only are we celebrating life today, but uh, we also realize that people come in, in all kinds of uh, different ways, some with various different challenges. And if you've been with us for several months, you realize that we as a church have decided that we would like us together as a church family to cause our facilities to be more open to more people from different walks of life. And, and as much as we are a welcoming church and we're a warm church and we invite everybody in, uh, for some, our facilities can be an obstacle because we have areas and sections where if someone has mobility challenges, they're using a wheelchair, maybe a walk or other things, it's really hard to get around. And, uh, and so what we're doing is uh, we've decided to, uh, this past November, uh, embark on the Access for All campaign. And our goal has been to, to raise... Uh, $900,000, either by gifts or by, by uh, commitments, in order to, to make some changes around here. Namely, that building over there. We'd like to um, have an elevator there. We'd like to uh, upgrade the restrooms so they're ADA accessible, that they're a refreshed and inviting place. We'd like to revamp the nursery, because thankfully, we've got a lot of kids running around, around here, and we want to make sure that we have a good place for them to, to be able to learn about God. And last week, I told you that uh, our, uh, from November to, to last week, our financial gifts and commitments had come in at $468,000. And I'm grateful to say that since that time, uh, our gifts and commitments have actually grown to $755,000. So praise God for that. We thank the Lord for his provision. We thank the Lord for you and your generosity in terms of taking, taking steps to help make this happen. And, and what does that mean now? Well, we're not at our $900,000 goal yet that we need to make this project happen, but uh, we're so close. Our remaining need is essentially a little over $144,000. And, uh, and so the deacons have agreed that with such a, you know, how close we are in such a short window of time, and especially in light of the fact that we just came through Christmas. Remember Christmas? I know it feels like ages ago. We just got through that. And so as a result of that, it seemed wise to extend the window uh, to receive gifts and, and commitments to March 31st. And so uh, there's really three reasons that we would think this is wise. One, some have communicated that they would consider actually giving more if we were close. And so this will give you an opportunity to do that. Uh, others have uh, not yet submitted a commitment card, and so that extends the window for you uh, to be able to let us know how you'd like to participate in this project 
And then thirdly, this also gives our design team a chance to consider and seek alternatives in, uh, in utilizing perhaps the existing footprint to reduce the cost of the project without giving up our main objectives in Access for All. So for those three reasons, we're, we're, uh, we're extending the time and uh, we look forward to seeing what God's going to do next. But praise God. We're so grateful for what he's done and we'll continue to praise him for that. Uh, I'm, I'm, uh, I don't know about you, but there are times that I really do stop and kind of go, wow, God has done amazing things to design all of creation, especially when we consider the creation of our bodies. I'm talking the human body. If you ever stop and look at, you know, and see different you know, studies that come on, the more science progresses, you know what? The more amazed we are. There's more intricacy. There's more complexity. There's, there's more artistry, really, in what God's done to create. Uh, these things that, that we walk around in. And so uh, I just pulled up some things. I looked up online just to see some recent, you know, stats maybe you haven't heard of before. Did you realize that information flows along your nerves at about 400 kilometers per hour? Yeah, that's fast. The human heart beats more than 3 billion times in an average lifespan. Yeah, that was a B, billion. End to end... If they were laid out, an adult's blood vessels could circle the Earth's equator four times. Yeah. That's, that's how little they are. Yeah, I know. Okay, get this. Bodies give off a tiny amount of light that's too weak for the eye to see. You know? For some of us, it might shine a little brighter. I don't know. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I don't think so. You just, you just can't see it. You can't. The average human at rest produces about 100 watts of power. <laughs> Over periods of a few minutes, humans can comfortably sustain maybe 300 to 400 watts. In the case of very short bursts of energy, such as sprinting, some humans can output 2,000 watts. And get this, you don't need to physically change your batteries, which, by the way, that got me curious. For some of you who know me, you're like, oh no, what did you do? Yeah, I looked it up, okay? I wanted to know, if I was using AA batteries, how many would I need to power my body for a day? <laughs> Yeah, so I looked it up. In case you're curious, like I was, you would need 648 AA batteries to power your body for one day. Yeah, but that would only go for one day. Then you got to swap them out. It's amazing. Uh, matter of fact, you know, some computer scientists were marveling that our mind, our brain, our brain is so efficient with energy, they've not even come close. They've tried to, but they cannot come close to designing something that can compute as much as our brains are able to compute with so little energy. It's amazing. And so when we think about the design of our body and marvel at God's creative work in that, we need to recognize something. God's also designed another body. He's designed the body of Christ, the church. And in doing so, he's also given intricate workings to that body to work together with different parts in different ways in order to accomplish his beautiful work of, of redeeming a fallen world. And if you're a believer, if you've come to Christ, if you're in him today, you are a part of that body. And that means you have a part you need to be involved in in order to bring that to pass. And so... We've been in the book of 1 Corinthians and we've been looking at how Paul, the Apostle Paul, is used by God to instruct us in what it means to participate in the body in this way. And we find that especially in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, beginning in verse 12. And I'd encourage you to open to that or um, there's, a, there's a Bible in, in the chair rack in front of you if you'd like to use that. But uh, you might recall we've been learning about spiritual gifts from God. And, and Paul's been addressing the Corinthian church because the church in Corinth had a lot of problems. There was a lot of arrogance. There was a lot of pride. There were a lot of ways in which they were elevating false criteria for true spirituality. And, and one of the areas of misunderstanding, amongst other things, there was sexual morality happening in the church. Uh, there were people that were looking at other, other uh, people's circumstances and saying, oh, if I only had that circumstance, then I could be really spiritual. So, for example, the married were saying, oh, if only I were unmarried, then I could be really spiritual. The single were saying, oh, if only I were married, then I could be really spiritual. 
Others were saying, saying other things. They, they, they wanted to change something about their lives to become really spiritual. And Paul's point, he just goes back over and over again. Wherever, whatever manner you've been called in, live that way. Live there because your circumstance isn't the issue. It's who you are in Christ. And so from there we find Paul describing spiritual gifts because for some reason the Corinthian church had elevated one particular gift as being the, the apex of all. In other words, you were really spiritual if you spoke in tongues. That's what they were saying. And so what Paul does is he begins to address that here in chapter 12. And, um, and he, he talks about how as all of us receive spiritual gifts from God, we need to be, learn to be discerning when it comes to spiritual gifts. And he goes on to say, we've got to remember who the gifts are from. They're from God. And then we also need to remember what the gifts are for. And what they're for is to build up one another. That's what the gifts are for. And now Paul moves on to describe this further. Uh, In honor of God's word, would you please stand and follow along as I begin reading in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 12. For even as the body is one and yet has many members, and also the members of the body, though they are many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of one spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. If the foot says, because I'm not a hand, I'm not a part of the body, it is not for this reason any less a part of the body. And if the ear says, well, because I'm not an eye, I'm not a part of the body, it is not for this reason any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? But now God has placed the members, each one of them, in the body just as he desired. If they were all one member, where would the body be? But now there are many members but one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Or again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, it is much truer that the members of the body which seem weaker are necessary. And those members of the body which we deem less honorable, on these we bestow more abundant honor, and our less presentable members become much more presentable. Whereas our more presentable members have no need of it. But God has so composed the body, giving more abundant honor to that member which lacked, so that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now you are Christ's body and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healings, helps, administrations, various kinds of tongues. All are not apostles, are they? All are not prophets, are they? All are not teachers, are they? All are not workers of miracles, are they? All do not have the gifts of healings, do they? All do not speak with tongues, do they? All do not interpret, do they? But earnestly desire the greater gifts. And I will show you a still more excellent way. Let's pray. Lord, we ask that you would teach us. We pray, Lord, that your spirit would work now uh, through this time in the word that he composed, that he wrote, so that we would be transformed. We ask that by your grace, each one here who knows you would begin more and more to see how you've given them gifts and that they would seek by your grace to serve you by building up the local assembly, the body of Christ in a way that pleases you, that gives you glory, and that allows them to walk in the fullness of joy of being used for the very purpose that you've given those gifts. So help us in this, we pray. We look to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Go ahead and take your seats. So if you were with us uh, months ago, actually it was back in November, if you remember, <laughs> when we were here in this section of Scripture, we, we spent a lot of time unpacking spiritual gifts. And I'm not going to take time today to, to go over all that, but I do just want to briefly review uh, what we talked about. We, we essentially broke the spiritual gifts and kind of backed off and looked at the whole panorama of, of the New Testament and we broke them down really into four 
categories, revelatory gifts, sign gifts, speaking gifts, supporting gifts. And then we took time to go through and unpack each of those. And again, if, if you weren't here or if you'd like to review that, go ahead and go to the website. Uh, they're all there under, under the sermon section. You can just click on that and, and, and they're, they're available to you. But under revelatory gifts, we saw that there were essentially two of those, apostle and prophet. And, and an apostle was someone who was a witness of Jesus' earthly ministry. And they personally witnessed Jesus' resurrection. And they had a direct appointment by Jesus himself to the office of apostle. Uh, a prophet, uh, similar to apostles, had the honor of receiving and sharing direct revelation from God. Uh, the Bible tells us they had insights into the mysteries of God. And, uh, and, and it was... Uh, just like the Old Testament, New Testament prophets would both foretell and foretell the word of God. They would give predictions and they would give proclamation. And that revelation from God was fully inerrant, fully authoritative to be heeded and to be followed by all who heard. Uh, from, from there, we, we went on to talk about the sign gifts and there were healings and miracles and those were very much associated with the work of the apostles. Uh, Paul even describes that as he defends his own apostleship. He says, hey, there were, there were miracles and signs and wonders like a true apostle. And so uh, we see, would see those connected. Their tongues uh, were people speaking, men and women speaking in known languages that they had never learned. So we see this in the book of Acts, for example, when the church is born at Pentecost. Uh, and what it was to the hearers to actually hear their, their own language uh, as everyone gathered in that area for Pentecost, not, down to the very dialect, right? They heard their own language, their mother tongue, and their own dialect, hearing the gospel proclaimed. It was an amazing and stunning thing to them. And it, many turned and believed uh, as a result of that amazing work. Um, and then interpretation of tongues would be someone gathered in the assembly who is able to hear languages they've never learned and translate them <laughs> or others so that they can receive the benefit of, of those tongues. And, um, and so we, we talked also about how the revelatory gifts and the sign gifts uh, are, were intended by God for that specific design of establishing the church, of the church growing uh, in those early days, and we would see them as not being normative for Christian experience today. Although, we also said that tongues, depending on where and when and how, sometimes those very same parameters and purposes are there, and, and, and we would see it's, it's possible that uh, that, that, that would even uh, be carried out in, in our day, um, where known languages are spoken without having been learned. And we, again, we developed that a lot more back in those weeks. We then went on to talk about the, the speaking gifts. And there are several, evangelist, exhortation, teaching, word of wisdom, word of knowledge, pastor, teacher. And all of these have a different element of, of sharing uh, the word of God. For an evangelist, this is someone that you know, he or she is really skilled at coming alongside of those who don't yet know Jesus. And they're able to connect with them and talk with them and share with them and bring forward uh, the truths of the gospel in such a way where people are listening and God uses the spirit of God is at work in that and they're open and they, they will respond by, by trusting and believing in Christ. Exhortation, uh, that would be a, a, a person, you know, he or she would be able to uh, see someone in a situation and sometimes kind of call them to repent or they're able to call them to be encouraged and they're able to see a situation in a person and use God's word in such a way to kind of apply it in that way and bring uh, a, a, an element of, of kind of putting the wind back in someone's sails who maybe is discouraged or helping them course correct if in fact they're, they're heading in a direction that is not uh, healthy or scriptural. The gift of teaching. This is someone, he, a person who uh, is able to uh, take scriptural truth and organize it in such a way where they can then bring it out with a lot of clarity. And they can help others understand what that would mean. Uh, word of wisdom, word of knowledge is related to teaching. And uh, we would see that uh, demonstrated even um, in this section of 1 Corinthians. And we spent a lot of time on that. But it's, it's the same idea. You're bringing a skill for living from the scriptures or you're bringing a, a deeper understanding of God from the scriptures. And then pastor, teacher, that would be someone who has a, the gift of teaching and exhortation and other things blended together with a specific care for a local church assembly. And, and pastor teachers are given to the church for the purpose of shepherding them, caring for them, tending them as the Lord has directed and, and leads. Uh, and then we saw the supporting gifts. And, and those, there were several there. There were helps and, and mercy and faith and distinguishing spirits and giving and administration. 
and, and helps, if you'll recall, it's, it's really, this is a person who sees a need, and they're supernaturally enabled by God's Spirit to get in there. And by the way, they're supernaturally enabled by God's Spirit to see the need, and to get in there, and to help. And so we, we, this gift functions in so many different ways, from caring for the needy, uh, to, to, you know, volunteering in different places at different times. Uh, you know, maybe it's, it's caring for uh, people who uh, are, are without a home or without food or they need help in that way. Or, or it could be something as simple as coming in and helping with, with different events at, at, in, within the church to step, step in to assist maybe within CVC Kids as an assistant, set up, tear down. The, the point is if there's a need, they make it happen. Uh, and then mercy is another uh, gift that we talked about at length. And, and we talked about how it's really, you know, some people thought of that as, you know, I'm, I'm, I have mercy because I'm spiritually nice to people. <laughs> and we thought, that's not what mercy is. No, it's way more than that. It's really particular uh, to someone being able to see a brother or sister in distress, misery, pain, anxiety, something like that. And, and this gift consists of a special skill enabled by the Holy Spirit to relieve that distress or that m- misery or to be able to meet them where they're at in that moment. And uh, again, the, the rest of the gifts, that, you know, there's faith. This is someone who trusts God. When other people are going, yeah, I don't know. A brother or sister with faith is one that stands up and goes, hey, God's got it, right? <laughs> and usually everybody else is like, yeah, yeah, you're right, you're right, okay. You know, it's kind of one of those things. Oh, we need people like that. Uh, distinguishing spirits, that, that's someone, uh, he or she is enabled by the Spirit of God to hear something from the scriptures or, or in another context of someone teaching and being able to go, yeah, no, I don't think that's it. And, and usually they're able to discern from the word, you know, what, what's, what's happening in those situations. Giving, this is someone who's, who loves to share what they've been given to bless other people. And, and it's almost like, uh, you know, when Paul describes that, how uh, God loves a cheerful giver, these are the folks who are laughing and just giving what they, God's given them away to others to bless them. You, it might be someone who has uh, means. It might be someone who doesn't. Uh, I, I you know, recall the story of, of Jesus you know, with, with the, the, the widow who had, had the two little coins. She gave more than everybody as far as he was concerned. Um, and so that, that the point isn't the amount. The point is the heart behind it and the fact that God's enabling you to give to bless others. And then the gift of administration. This is someone, uh, this would be a brother or sister who is gifted by God to see something that needs to happen and they can organize and help multiple of other people kind of engage in this task. They can typically break it down into steps. They can, they can help people on a team, in a team context to a fun- a function uh, efficiently. Uh, this is a very, very needed gift. All of them are. But administration, we can see that all over the place. This is happening all the time here in our own church family. And it's a, it's a beautiful thing. And it's an act of worship. It's, it's as much an act of worship as, uh, as what I'm doing right now in preaching or as you know, what Pastor Andrew does as he's leading us in song. Um, administration. And so all these are, are, are the gifts. There, there could be more. I'm not saying this is an exhaustive list. This breakdown into four parts, look, it's... it's the best I can do to try to break it down, there might be a better way. <laughs> That's not the point. The point is God's given gifts. And now Paul is moving ahead and he's saying, look, as you have these gifts, really understand the marvelous design that God's given to the body of Christ. And as I was preparing, that's, that's what hit me. Just in prayer, just like, Lord, what is this section really talking about? And, and so I think what we, what we see here is is. is you know, when we really see God's amazing design of the body, the body of Christ, the church, when we really see his amazing design, there are things that are going to happen in each of us. And, and, and the first thing that will happen is this. We will marvel at many made one. Isn't that something? God has taken many and he's made us one. And, and, and you'll notice here, it's not that, you know, boy, wouldn't it be great if we could be one? This isn't wishful thinking on Paul's part. Look at the wording of verse 12. Look at the end of it. Verse 12, though they are many, are one body. You are. You already are. Why? Because Jesus finished the work. It's done. 
Jesus died the death that you and I deserve. He was buried. He rose again on the third day. Jesus declared there on the cross, it is finished. There's nothing to add to his work, nothing to be taken away from his work. And in so doing, as he's called you to be in him, you have been made one. And now the call is to live it out. To live it out. You'll notice that he uses the, in these two verses, verses 12 and 13, he uses the word one several times. One, yet as many members. One body. Verse 13, we are all baptized into one body. Uh, we are made to drink of one spirit. And that's, uh, that's emphatic. To have it repeated that way, he's being emphatic. One, 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 one. And yet, at the same time, you're many. You're not just a bunch of drones. You know, this isn't the kind of thing where you, you know, you're just sort of like a robot. That's right. We're one. You know, I mean, that's spooky. That's not it. It's not like, you, we, we don't tell you, you know, there's the door right there, your brain, yeah, check it there, okay? And just whatever we say, just, that's not it. Nope. No, there's, we're all many. Lots of different gifts, different backgrounds. Everything from our cultural background, educational background, financial background, you name it. It's, it's all different. And yet, we are one. Isn't that just stunning? How did God do that? Do you realize that's like the goal of kind of every sociological entity in our culture today? How can we make everybody one? They've got all kinds of ways to try to do it, and they can't do it. And if you're not aware of that, you probably haven't been watching the news much. And by the way, if you haven't, I don't blame you. In fact, a lot of us could probably learn <laughs> from that, right? Less of that, more of this, right? Be aware, be aware, be a, an agent of light, be, be truth and love in the midst of that. Don't, don't, I'm not saying, you know, go into like the ostrich mode of just putting your head in the sand, but at the same time, maybe it's three times this to every one of the other, hopefully. He tells us in verse 13 that the Spirit is the one who baptized us into one body. And that, that really is the picture of spirit baptism. The word baptize means to immerse. And what he's saying here is every person who has come to Jesus, in that moment, the Holy Spirit took you and immersed you into Jesus with the result that now you are in Christ. That right there is a 15 to 20 part series. Just that phrase, in Christ. We've talked about it a lot over the past few years though. Remember that? If you were here, some of you weren't here, you're going, what are you talking about? Okay, you weren't here. But if you were here, do you remember that? We talked about our identity in Christ. We talked about union with Christ. We talked about oneness in Jesus. Well, here Paul's describing it again. And it means that we operate in a new sphere. We don't live the same way anymore. As a matter of fact, the daily life that all of us who are in Christ, immersed into Jesus, live by the Spirit, we live now with resurrection power from the age to come. Because the Spirit who rose Jesus from the dead is the same Spirit who dwells inside of us, who gives life to our mortal bodies right now. So here he says in verse 13, you drank of one spirit. And that, that phrase to drink really has the idea of being drenched or flooded. Now, as people who live in Northern California over the past few weeks, I know we have no concept of what that means at all. But I, I don't know what happened to you guys, but we, we got inundated, right? I mean, there were parts of our backyard, and praise God, this is the extent to which we had to deal with it. But, you know, our backyard's thirsty. Trust me, I, I pay the water bill every month. Okay, I know. It's thirsty. And after this storm, there were like four different sections that the water could not go in anymore. It was, it was done. It was just, water's just sitting there. Of course, the dog loved that. <laughs> of course, we did not love the fact that Trevor loved that, okay? But he had the best time ever. Yeah. But that's the idea, drenched or flooded. And so this is a really vivid depiction of how the Holy Spirit 
is, is overflowing in abundance for everyone who is in Christ. He's not just giving you a little dab, a little drop. No, you have been saturated, again, immersed into Jesus, baptized. And so the Spirit has done this, and, and because of that, we live differently now. So, when we really see the amazing design of the body of Christ, we will not only marvel at many made one, but secondly, we will also embrace the interdependence of all. Interdependence, what's that mean? That means everything's linked and everything depends on every other thing. Interdependence. And Paul stresses that in this next section uh, with, with really actually a very comical, almost, presentation of parts of the body saying, well, I don't need you. He's addressing the Corinthian church's pride. Because, again, they were saying, well, do you speak in tongues? Oh, you don't speak in tongues? Oh, well. <laughs> don't you wish you did? And Paul's going, what are you doing? Every gift given by God is from God. Every gift given by God is from the Holy Spirit. Every gift given by God is for the purpose of building up the body. And now you're sitting back here going, yeah, well, that one's really important. That one shows you really... But that one, eh, I'm going to give it out of 10. We're going to go 7-2 maybe on that one. And Paul's going, you're crazy. And so he shows them with an absurd picture. The foot says, oh, I'm not really part of the body because I'm not a hand. And the ear goes, well, I'm not really part of the body because I'm not an eye. And then, and then you see that, that, that picture. Verse 17. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? And you, you, I don't know about you, but I read that and I'm like, oh, great, a big old eyeball. You know, right there. Which is gross. That's just gross. It's a big old eyeball. But what's he doing? He, he's bringing out the absurdity and also the grotesqueness of this picture. But let's step back and go, what does this mean for us? Well, number one, if you see your gift as being less than others, you're falling into a grotesque, absurd life. If you're looking at other people's gifts and saying, yeah, that's not really, that's okay, but this gift is something, you also are falling into an absurd, yet grotesque life. Or if you're someone who's, who's saying, well, you know what? I don't know. I'm just sort of going to live my Christian life. But I don't have to be connected to a local church. Because the local church, it's got so many problems. I can, there's this, there's that. I've got my list. I can sit back in judgment on it. And there, because of that, I'm withdrawing from it. And he, what Paul's saying is, if you're going to try to live on your own as a big old eyeball, you are falling into a grotesque and absurd life. No one said each part is given by God for the, for the purpose that he's designed. And you've got to love that. Look at verse 18. God has placed, there's deliberate agency. God has placed. Look at the next part of verse 18. Each one of them. That means every gift. Every gift given, God's deliberately placed. And then notice the end of verse 18. Just as he desired. You didn't come up with the design of your physical body wasn't your idea. And in the same way, you did not come up with the design of the body, the church, the body of Christ. Wasn't your idea. But every intricate little placement of each person within a local assembly, that is by God for the purpose of building that body up. And so then he go, again goes on to ask that rhetorical question. If all were one member, where would the body be? The answer is nowhere. And so then in verse 20, but now there are many members, but one body. There you go again. Many made one. And yet, though many is made one, each is interdependent on the other. Just as he willed. What a beautiful truth. You know, you are not... If you're here today and you are a part of this church family, do you realize you are not here by accident? This passage tells us that God put you here at Clayton Valley Church at this time for a reason. And he's given you gifts. 
And he has a specific part for you to carry out here by serving that only you can do. And, and if you're going, well, yeah, but my gift isn't that big of a deal or my gifts aren't that big of a deal. Well, don't compare yourself to other people. And, and maybe you're, you're thinking, no, my gifts are a way big deal. Well, don't be deceived. No. All gifts given by God, and they all are given from God, are important. I mean, if anything, we go back to, to this whole picture of gifts. It's like, okay, which one do you want to say is, you know, the most important? And which ones are not important at all? You're not going to do that. We don't dare do that. No, they're all given by God for his purposes. And then you've got to love this also. As, as we, we see this depiction of the gifts and God's design and God placing us into a particular place, we also need to not complain about where he's placed us. <laughs> that can happen too. Yeah, I don't want to be in this place. Why? I love how uh, several times in the scriptures when grumbling is mentioned, uh, it's, it's, it's a word that's an onopoetic, onomatopoetic word, meaning it sounds like what it is. So the, the word is actually gagungala along those lines. I'm, I'm mispronouncing it right now because it's been a while. But the point is it sounds like what it is. And that's what grumbling is, right? You're kind of like... Wah, 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 wah. There's no place for that. Why? Because God's put you here. You're here for a reason. And rather than complaining about where he's placed you, this is a time to serve him with vigor and joy. Again, some might think, well, my, my gifts are so weak. I don't, I, you know, what can I do? And, uh, and, and you know what? Sometimes what Paul is saying here, he goes on to talk about that, how sometimes those that seem weaker are actually more important or more necessary, verses 22 and 23. And he's probably talking about the private parts, right? Parts that we tend to cover up, the weaker parts. And he's saying by, by covering them, they're more honored. They're more dressed up, and so to speak. The reality is, is all of them are indispensable and the body can't do without them. And, uh, you know, one, uh, one idea of this could be found, I don't know if you're, you know, for those of you who are familiar with cars, I mean, think about your car. Um, by the way, the only way I've become familiar with any part of any car is because it's gone bad on my car, okay? That's how I know anything. I did not go learn anything. I just had everything break at one point in time in the past, you know, 30 years or so. But you think about it, you know, you got your oil drain plug, now compare that maybe to your electronic ignition system. What's more exciting? What's more kind of like, wow, that's sophisticated. That's really cool. Trust me, it's not the oil plug. It's not the oil plug. But what happens if your oil plug isn't in place? And by the way, some of you are mechanics. Don't answer, all right? Don't answer. I know. The rest of us lay people. What happens? Yeah, it's... It's no bueno for your car. I'll tell you that. It's not good. It is not good. Without oil, your car just seizes up, breaks down. It's bad. Uh, you think about all the various hoses in your engine that are used to transfer fluid here and there. Then you compare that to maybe, you know, the impressive technological wonders of your fuel injection system, you know? Hoses are, you know, a piece of rubber about this big. But without that, what happens? Nothing works. That's the picture we have here of the body. There's no unimportant gift. There is no unimportant person. Every one of us is interdependent upon the other. And so if you feel insignificant, if you feel small, let this encourage you. You're not. You're vital to what God is doing here in our local church family. And the lie that you're not that important or that significant is the very first step in taking you out of rotation. It's a ploy the enemy's used for centuries. Don't buy it. Maybe you're kind of like, yeah, I'm not that big of a deal. I'm just sort of a spectator, you know, in terms of serving. And I just want to encourage you, don't, don't sit in the stands. Get on the field. The reality is, by the way, there are no stands. You are on the field, whether you know it or not. 
uh, we talked about, you know, several weeks back, about what do I do? You know, how, how can I find out what my gift is? And, and just, just by way of review, we talked about praying first. Pray, ask God to show you. Then secondly, experiment. Try it. Uh, instead of saying, you know, something like, well, this church doesn't have this ministry or this isn't happening here. You know, if you actually see that, it could very well be that that's your gift. You've been gifted. You're aware of the need. And that's not a call for you to go, well, I don't know. Maybe I should go elsewhere where they have that. Maybe it's, no, I need to start that or help that happen or invest in making that a reality because it's a need. Um, after you experiment, which, by the way, can't can take a lot of courage, right? That means stepping out and going for it. The third thing would be to receive feedback. And, and there's, there's a couple other ways you can do that. First, your, your own feedback. You know, it's like, okay, how did it go? What was it like as I was engaging in this ministry? Uh, maybe you talk to somebody else and get feedback from them, you know? Maybe you ask someone else who's been doing this ministry for a while, hey, you know, what was that? Was I helpful? How, how, did I contribute to, to what we were doing here in a way that was constructive and good? Uh, and you might even ask yourself, just, you know, okay, how, how, did I, how did I feel in the midst of that? Did I sense that I was, you know, making a difference and doing what God called me to do? Um, was it helpful? Was it encouraging? Was it challenging? Was it something else? Those are, those are all the things to do in, in the feedback phase. And then lastly, serve. Just do it. Give yourself wholeheartedly to the building up of Christ's body. Because that is God's plan for the redemption of this fallen universe. You realize that? The church is God's plan A for the redemption of this fallen universe. And if you want to be where God is working, where God is doing what he's doing, then you want to be involved in building up the local church. Because you know what? We're told clearly in scripture, it will not fail. Jesus says the gates of hell may try to prevail against it, but they won't. The church cannot fail. God has decreed it, and it will come to pass. And you can be a part of what God is doing as you serve in that way. So we see the amazing design of the body of Christ the interdependence is a part of that. And we need to embrace that interdependence. And you know, when we embrace it, you realize what's going to happen is when one suffers, all of us suffer. I love how, how Paul brings that out. Look at verse 26. If one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one's honored, all the members rejoice with it. That's just, that's a, a, a beautiful picture. There's a, there's a sense in which it's impossible for someone to go through suffering and the, the rest of the body is not affected by that. It's like, no, we, we want to know what's going on. Now, now it is possible if, if, if there's not the willingness to share what's going on in some form, maybe for prayer or just counsel or for talking or some other thing. But, but we don't want that to be the case. We suffer together. And then in rejoicing at another's happiness, uh, I, I love, you know, how, how we get to do that. You know, when, when something comes about, when God's at work and we see someone and, and maybe it's been a struggle they've had for a long time and God blesses them, we're able to go praise the Lord. And we enjoy that together. We rejoice together in that. So that's a part of this interdependence. We suffer together. We rejoice together. And, and God does beautiful things through that. So when we see the amazing design of the body of Christ, we marvel at the many made one. We embrace the interdependence of all. Third thing we do is we reject arrogance. You see that in verses 27 and following. Again, this, this idea that uh, the Corinthian church had, well, you know, we're, we're really, really prominent if we speak in tongues. That's arrogance. And so Paul here goes through a, a sort of a, a list and he kind of categorizes um, gifts. And in rebuke to their arrogance, Paul actually goes, you know, if anything, we're all interdependent upon one another. We all need one another. All the gifts are of vital importance. And yet, Corinthian church, if you're going to take tongues and put it away here on the top of the, of top of the equation, he goes, I've got news for you. If you're going to do that, we can probably say that there are other gifts that would be more profitable and more significant. 
than what you're elevating. And so he does give a, a, a kind of hierarchy of grace gifts from God. And it's really structured to correct the distorted view that the church at Corinth held that tongues were the apex of spiritual gifts and the sign of true spirituality. And so we find here, if you look at verse 28, you'll notice he has a ranking. He says, God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, and then he goes on to list other various gifts. You'll also notice that tongues doesn't come until the end of the verse in verse 28. There's a reason for that. You see what he's doing. He's undermining their arrogance. Uh, he'll do the same thing then in verse 29 when he asks the questions. Same order. All not apostles, are they? All are not prophets, are they? All are not teachers, are they? And then he goes in through the rest of the list. So, so what he's saying is, there are two basic general categories of gifts if you're going to look at it with this lens that he's using to rebuke their arrogance. And it's shown really in how the sentence comes together. Two general categories. The first three have numerical rankings in verse 28. First apostles, second prophet, third teachers. Then it seems the rest are listed as sort of the, the next category. Miracles, gifts of healings, helps, administrations, various kinds of tongues. And so what he's doing is he's undermining their arrogance and saying, please understand that your taking tongues and putting it way up here is actually the reverse of God's perspective in terms of what the church is, at its founding is, is requiring and needing. Um, he's correcting their preoccupation with the gift of tongues as a true sign of spirituality. And, and we, we kind of do see this, this laid out. Um, as a matter of fact, Paul describes it earlier in this very epistle, right around chapter 4. He talks about how we build on the foundation, one foundation, it's Christ Jesus, then another comes and builds upon that. And he's talking about his work as an apostle. And he's also talking about then teachers that would come later. And so he's saying to them, um, you know, in chapter 3, verses 5 through 14, we see a similar sequence given as well. There's a correlation between these first crucial gifts that are needed to establish the church and, 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 uh, and build up the body of Christ. Now, Paul's going to describe this more in chapter 14, so I won't go into more on that right now. But he's rejecting arrogance, certainly. And we need to do the same. So when we see the amazing design of the body of Christ, we're going to marvel at many made one, embrace the interdependence of all, reject arrogance, and lastly, we will also revive zeal. We find that in verse 31. Notice, earnestly desire the greater gifts. Now he finally gives what that first category would be. He gives a descriptive name. He calls them the greater gifts. They're the first three. Apostle, prophet, teacher. And again, he's going to, in chapter 14, unpack this further. But, uh, but what he's saying is that all the gifts are, are, are vital. All are used by God to build up the body. But there are some that are the greater gifts, those three. But then he turns into a sort of a aside, which is probably one of the most significant asides in the entire New Testament. And that is 1 Corinthians 13, <laughs> talking about love. And, uh, and, and we'll get to that next week. But as we conclude today, uh, Dr. Ron Bryce shares his experience of assisting in, in, a, in a heart surgery procedure. And he put it this way. He goes, I... As I assisted as a surgeon, he, the other surgeon, had, had me reach into the patient's chest and turn his heart so, I could work on it, so he could work on it from a better angle. As I gingerly swiveled it, he asked, how does it feel to hold a man's beating heart in your hand? In spite of our manipulations, the man's heart kept thumping as billions of tiny heart cells communicated and coordinated their activities. The cells in your heart rhythmically contract in unity, acting together to produce a heartbeat. These living cells, if they're separated from the heart in a test tube, they will instinctively continue beating, but not in coordination with each other. If the cells are brought back in contact with one another, the instant they touch, their contractions again become synchronized. 
And then he goes on to describe that. That's the nature of heart cells. Individual cells cannot accomplish God's designed function alone. They were designed to be one of many cells in one heart. And while they serve a unique function in the body, they really cannot function in the beautiful way they've been designed unless they are connected together. They're interdependent on one another. A single heart cell working alone cannot pump blood to the body no matter how hard it tries. It needs the other cells to fulfill that designed function. And that really is the pattern for how God designs things. That's how God designed the human body. That's how God designed the body of Christ, the church. What is your part in Christ's body at work here today? Take your steps of seeking him in prayer, of engaging in ministry, of receiving feedback, and of serving with your whole heart that he would be glorified as he accomplishes much through his body at Clayton Valley Church. Let's pray. Lord, we we lift up uh, just this truth, these truths, and we ask, Lord, that you would cause them to resonate in our hearts. Lord, that we would serve you with zeal, that we would understand that no matter what our gifts are from you, we, we, we have at least one if we're in you, those who have come to you by faith. Those who, if someone's here today and they have not yet received Jesus as Savior, as Lord, we pray, Lord, that they would turn to you even now and that uh, they would know what it means to be reconciled to you because of uh, the work of Jesus, uh, the life that we could never live, that he lived, the death that he died in our place. But Lord, we, we want to reflect your glory. We want to reflect your design We want to be used by you to do mighty things to further your kingdom here and around the world. So give us grace, Lord, as we step out in that way of trusting you and serving you with the gifts you've given. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.